1: How do I do this?
2: How does Amazon link to CityMetric workers' rights? I mean, it doesn't really. It's it's
1: just like it's it's gratuitous. It doesn't matter, but like I work it out.
2: That's the beauty Um, of CityMetric, though, isn't it? This is
0: a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap.
1: Hello, I'm John Edge, and this is Skyline's The CityMetric Podcast. So, last week, my, my sweary American colleague, Sarah Minarvis wrote an excellent piece for the New Statesman about an exciting day out she had in, in the very fine county of Essex, where she went to visit an Amazon Fulfillment Centre. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? Are you feeling fulfilled?
2: I'm feeling supremely fulfilled after a fun Monday morning in which I had to leave my house at 7am after but, taking my dog out to defecate uh, at about 645
1: I can't believe that like you went to like this kind of hellscape... Where like people are working for minimum wage in this kind of horrible environment, which we're going to talk about. And the thing you keep coming back to is that you had to get up <laughs> quite early in the morning to do this.
2: It honestly because was you have chosen
1: to live <laughs> in West London, which is the other side of London from Essex.
2: I don't think when I took this job and chose where I was going to live, I didn't think any part of my job A would require me having to move. I mean, literally within like twenty minutes of where I actually work. And B, I especially didn't think I was going to have to be traipsing out to wherever the fuck Tilbury is uh, in Essex. And then also, even from there, having to then go and, like, walk into, like, deserted lands into where this Amazon Fulfillment Center was. Which is, I think, a problem in and of itself for the people that work there. And they have this, like, fake, like, oh, we've got, like, a space outside with benches and things like that, where everybody sits in individual seats and it looks very miserable, um, but yeah, no, I wasn't I mean, expecting that. Okay,
1: so Tilbury is where London's docks are these days, like the Port of London. When when they closed down docklands it was largely to move to bigger docks at Tilbury. Is this
2: your city metric link? I'm is just this how yeah, I'm it just, nice I just relevant? I just figured you're I'll like just, oh, for our, our loyal listeners, it's about you'll it's
1: remember. about thing. It's 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 not it's it's city metric enough. Did you go yeah. to Tilbury
2: as a child, as an have, Essex child? I've never been to Tilbury. I've I been to
1: Lakeside, which is the shopping centre up the road. The so Tilbury is in Thurrock, which is this kind of unitary authority in the southern end of Essex. And it's, it's a pretty ghastly place. It's quite industrial. There's a lot of villages there that kind of feel like they're just... You can feel the Thames and the marshes and the factories and so on of crowding in. It is, like, weirdly post-industrial, despite the fact that it's just outside London.
2: I didn't know there was so much to even say about
1: That's a very exciting Essex. and important part of the world,
2: Yeah, no, it does. It's really weird because it is like just outside of London. So I sort of thought it'd be urbanized, but it is literally like, like just empty fields and seemingly abandoned shops. And like all of the shops on the high street, or if you can even say that's a high street, like it didn't have names of shops, it would just say like, Chinese takeaway, Mm -hmm. or it would say supermarket, it didn't say like Tesco, or I don't know whatever the name of like a takeaway would be. It just like had descriptors and that was like the entire vibe of the experience.
1: It, yeah, it is pretty it's quite post industrial for for somewhere in the south of England. It kind of fits into there's a kind it of post? whole sort of post? Yeah, a bit. I mean there's this whole sort of band of it starting in like Barking and Dagenham through like Raynham and out Tilbury. Uh which is, you know, it's <coughs> it's industrial stuff and people who used to work in industrial stuff and it's quite It's not a rich area. Like, there is money in Essex, but there really isn't money in Farrakh. But yeah, I've never been to Tilbury. I have walked along the Thames from from Greys to Raynham. That was a thing I did once for fun.
2: Was this the interesting, sexy topics that you were hoping I would be coming in here with? I mean... You're like, I'm hey, just... you wrote a charming, fun, punchy I'm piece I'm setting on the scene. I'm setting Let's the scene. Let's talk about I'm telling, the like, history people... of South I'm telling... West Essex. Well, if you
1: will go to Essex, I'm going to lecture you on, on Essex. That's a thing that's going to happen. I've spent so, okay. time
2: in Essex. I've been to South End. I've been to the longest pier in the world, which I think is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life.
1: It's... It's actually not amazing, is it? It's no, like, and it's
2: also like an obstacle illusion. There's like, like nothing every there. I kept walking down it, I didn't feel as though I was any closer to the end or any further from the beginning. It really like screwed my brain for a good like 20 minutes or however long it takes to walk like a mile and a half.
1: It's, yeah, it, like the idea of a pier that's a mile and a half long is crazy that someone is, that's like a half hour walk.
2: Yeah, and it looks insane on Google Maps. Like it honestly is like the stupidest thing. And it's obviously like built, not like, to do anything, but built because it's like we will have the longest pier there, yeah. and that will be our USP for this otherwise standard seaside kind of like tacky town. Well
1: I mean yeah South End was my local seaside town growing up and it's sort of a depressing place because for a start it's called Southend on Sea, not on the sea. No. It's on the Thames estuary. So what as a small the child I believe the thing I as a small child believed to be France is in fact like some Kentish mm. industrial estate. Is that- <laughs> that's is that true? true did that you is look true? out and you were like, like mom, mom mom i can see france mom. yeah sure whatever no, <laughs> that is yeah. so
2: depressing
1: yeah well uh, you that's can see it's like you know steelworks actually. or something or whatever it is over there it's not so like self-end is not like one of the I, i'm not wild about any british seaside resort but South end is not one of the good
2: ones yeah
1: but we're, we're gonna we've gone back to the essex chat so okay so why were you going to see this Amazon fulfillment center? Which I'm going to keep saying.
2: I yeah, and again, that is that's another fun part of it, isn't it? It's like trying to drain any because it's fun. Of fun. Yeah, exactly. It is fun. Nothing screams fun like fulfillment center. Um.
1: So what? Yeah, let's let's like go. the means why us. did you go? There's
2: yeah. no there's no other way to talk. Like it's just so weird. It's not like I was like ooh. I wonder what dodgy things are happening at Amazon that nobody already knows about. Like, it wasn't like an idea in my head. It was like somebody emailed me. Well, somebody didn't even email me. Somebody emailed someone else and that person then forwarded it on to me and forced me to again leave my house at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. Um, After catching what is the charming cold everybody I think can hear me sort of powering through right now. And yeah, and then I I went... I think it's
1: clear that you are one of the true victims of 2018. (laughs) Nobody's but, had it harder than I you. I know,
2: I have a tough life. Um but yeah, so you then you had to
1: take your dog out as well. I it's... know.
2: I had to take her, her out at six forty five. And luckily at least we had daylight savings time so it wasn't in the dark. But hey ho, yeah, no, I went and and to be honest, like I don't really know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting it to be like a warehouse. Like I wasn't expecting it to be some like glitzy, like, manor estate where it was going to be, like, everybody was, like, floating around on deck chairs and, like, casually putting things away. I thought it was going to... But I thought it would be... They would go, okay, you think we're bad, but look at all these nice things we have now. We've got these, like, good machines and look how happy our employees are and look how nice our warehouses are. It's a warehouse, but it's okay and they have, like, a nice time. And that's kind of what I was expecting it to be like.
1: Okay, so what was it actually like?
2: I mean if you all can read the piece on new statesman.com um new the website it's
1: gonna be a really boring podcast if you just answer all the if questions like that can you just like talk about, essentially
2: like-, <laughs> like essentially it started out with like a, like it felt like a very standard pr thing there were a bunch of people greeting us at the door we went up there was a room with a screen and they showed us this video that apparently they show all the tours and i think that was like a Key part was they were like, we're just showing you what you show anyone else who comes in. You guys are getting a very standard experience, as though for us not to think like, oh, you think it's so good, but we do this for everyone, so it's not just been put on show for you. We watched this video, it's very awkward, and there's just like nuances to it that go beyond just what you would think. So like if you were saying oh, our facility is the size of 28 football fields. You think you just say that, like, oh, it's really big. It's the size of 28 football fields. Rather than, like, really uncomfortably saying, oh, so I've been told by X person in management that this is actually the size of 28 football fields. And saying it through that kind of strain, someone's watching me and making sure I'm saying this all right kind of way. And that was like the, that was like the, here you go. This is to get you pumped up to go into this fucking warehouse i am
1: being treated well i am not (laughs) speaking under duress
2: exactly and it was just it was so jarring um and i've actually like when i was writing it i just went and looked to see if they had any other fulfillment center videos online and they're all kind of like this um the american ones to be fair are a little bit like more like as you'd expect jovial
1: i think it's sort of easier to sell these things as i mean like not not all americans obviously there are some americans who are bitter and cynical and hate everything but, but there is kind of a, uh, uh, did you like what I did there? There yes. was, there was kind of, there is this kind of, sort of thread to American corporate culture where you can kind of get away with that. Hi, have a nice it's day. It's like, Hey, kind of thumbs
2: up. We're fun. It can be okay to work in a weird dark warehouse all the time. Cause like, we'll make it good for you. And we're just happy to be here serving you. Like it's that whole thing. Yeah.
1: You can't really do it's that. It's like company
2: Essex. loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we went in on this tour and there were probably like 15 of us. And, and again, like 15 people. One person guiding, one, and and it's not just one person guiding, but everybody was chipping in. It was one woman answering 95% of the questions, doing 100% of the showing us things. And yet there were seven other people that went along with, again, 15 people. So there was at least one person to every journal or to every two journalists.
1: Did you have like your own... One, like, were you aware of someone, like, shadowing you specifically?
2: Well, the thing is, I wasn't initially until I started to, like, look off in different directions. And again, it's not an interesting place. It's a warehouse. Like, it's not... You can probably picture it in your head. I mean, it's just conveyor belts and stuff. But if we had, like, been in an area and we were walking to a new area, I'd maybe, like, turn my head around and be like, oh, I'm looking back at that area. And immediately, like, two people would show up in my eyeline and they'd be like, what are you thinking? What are you looking at? Oh, can we help you with anything? And I'd just say, you know, I'm just looking around again this is a tour of conveyor belts it's not that interesting i didn't say that obviously but yeah so then it became very clear that you were being watched like a hawk and yeah so it was just it was a very odd experience to have so many people on top of you and again not saying anything so it's like the silent observers watching you and only intervening when you do something that isn't directly what they want you to be doing without with again with the with the air of we're here to help we're just here to help you understand what's happening here at the Tilbury Amazon Fulfillment Center. I think it was a boring day. I think I wanted to leave the whole time. And yet, like, there were so many things that were, like, so dreadfully bad at every turn that it, like, kind of made you have to keep paying attention. And it sucks because it was... And maybe that's what they were trying to do is that they're like, we're just a boring warehouse. But there was enough weird that you can't really not keep paying attention it's like the worst form of like sisyphusian torture where you think like oh okay it's boring i can leave but then they're like oh wait the machines aren't going to work or we have this weird like 20q security system as though like you're in at an airport and you're a criminal or whatever like it felt like a high security prison and so you have to keep going even though you just want to go home because again you've been up since like 6am and already taking your dog about, out. Can we stop talking
1: how early you were forced and to get up? Just like, can just want talk to go about...
2: back to bed.
1: Okay, so you said, like, you know, bad stuff, weird stuff keeps happening. What what What's the stuff? What's happening?
2: So I think, like, the thing that really stuck out was, yeah, like I said, like, how much it felt like a prison yard. Um, it was the fact that it was, like, chain link fence was everywhere. And even though I don't know if any other journalists have written about it, but just, like, looking around... I saw other journalists writing down there's a lot of chain link fence. And obviously they say that's for security, but it was at the point where like you would go into a section where there wasn't anything to secure you from there weren't any robots they say it's the robots that are keeping you secure but you'd go into a section there weren't any robots and you had to like lock yourself in from a chain link door behind you and then like open another chain link door and there's nothing in there except for like some high vis vests so it's very weird and claustrophobic and again just full of fucking chain link fence and there's the security there's shit hanging from the ceilings like robots that have like and this is like the hilarious thing to me is you know when you go to like a kid's birthday maybe it's like in a bowling alley And they give you, like, a bowling pin, and all the kids are like, oh, cool, a bowling pin. You all sign the bowling pin, and you're like, oh, fun, a souvenir from the birthday. Or, like, I don't know, you don't sign pinatas. But, like, if you have a thing from the birthday and everybody signs it as, like, a a memoir, memory, memorabilia thingy from the event. They had the robots that are, like, literally just, like, they look like a Roomba, those, like, vacuum cleaner, those Hoover Mm. movie things. And, like, all of the staff had signed them, but they were hanging from the ceiling. And that was so eerie and horrible and ominous. Do
1: you think they were being punished as a warning to the other robots?
2: Do I have to answer that question?
1: No. Okay, tell us about the robots, though. Because the robots are the kind of, like... The
2: robots are fine. They were kind of fun. They were, they were, like...
1: What with... are they doing? I mean, like...
2: They're moving small sized amazon products around like they're kind of interesting in the sense that like it's fun to see things moving on their own like they have a brain like what they do is like they've got a camera on the bottom there's all these qr codes and the cameras scan the qr codes and then like based on that they know depending on what's in the robots like shelves like the robots have little shelves of items on them it like takes it to the qr code it needs to go to to like get packaged up so like that's kind of like cute I don't know. It was, like, kind of interesting.
1: And these are autonomous robots, right? They're kind of doing this without, like, direct instruction.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like that. So that's, like, interesting. Like, that's fine. That's That was interesting to look at. Um, but again, like, I could have been sent a video of that. And I didn't need a tour of the maze of conveyor belts that I then was given for the rest of the thing.
1: There were also, like, screens of inspirational messages. Yes,
2: yeah, so there's like... screens with, quote-unquote, inspirational messages. And I wish I'd gotten a picture, but I, like didn't have the like courage to say to the woman trying to walk me out to get a picture of this but even in the stairwells it's like branded like an um, inspirational message but it's like messages that tell you how to walk upstairs and not done on like official amazon paper or a printout it's done in microsoft word it's the word art with the drop shadow and it's got like a fun funky background and it's telling you how to walk up a set of stairs
1: so, so like once one foot in front of the other I mean, Don't it, don't don't jump up one step at a time. Don't hop. Like, I think that the... is
2: quite literally exactly what those said. Like, to make sure you take one step at a time. Don't skip steps. Like, make sure you watch where you're going. Be careful of any clothing you have that might catch on the stairs that are enormous and are just stairs. Um, Yeah. And, and then they have these messages like, have a great day. But it's got like these sadistic emojis with like thumbs ups. And then next to those messages, it's like, here's how you package a thing appropriately. And if you don't, then we get in a lot of trouble. Hee hee, have a good day. And there were also just these banners up that just didn't say really anything. There was one, and I didn't get a picture of this, but there was one that just said, We Heart. And that was it. It was we and a big heart and there was nothing written on it. There was nothing there. And it was just hanging above everyone. And it was just as, as everybody silently, manically packing Amazon packages. I'm doing a hand thing right now, which obviously nobody can see but you. But
1: We love.
2: <laughs> we-, we are
1: still people who are capable of human emotion. <laughs> We're not just robots too.
2: That is like exactly what it was.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash
2: host.
1: So, just breaking into that conversation to have a related conversation in this week's uh, Ask the Experts section with Andrew Carter of the Center for Cities. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, John. Very well. This week, I want to talk about uh, robots. Because like we keep hearing a lot about how automation is kind of the the next big thing, the fourth industrial revolution, all that kind of stuff, I want to know what 's that going to do to the British economy and particularly to the the economy of british cities like obviously we 've got a very a very divided economy at the moment is this going to mean this going to level the playing field for us
3: once all the work' been done by robots what 's going to happen well i think that 's the the great question because in a sense on the one hand. We're looking at what these sort of changes and trends are going to mean at the UK economy level and automation, globalization, introducing more capital into the economy. At the aggregate level is going to be a good thing. You know, their sense, I'm pretty confident that the national economy uh, will be better as a result of more use of automation, more use of, of robots. We see that when we look at other countries that have greater amounts of robots in their, uh, in their countries and in their labor markets, they're actually tend to be more productive. So, so there, that's all good news then. This is brilliant. So, but, oh. and there is always a but, um, because actually, as we know, Um, the national economy is a construct and actually what we need to really think about is how the national economy plays out across different spaces and places and there I think you're going to see quite different distributional uh, impacts of automation and uh, the introduction of uh, robots into into the workplace. The work that we did um, a few months ago showed that very clearly so in a sense because of the nature of the job uh, economy or the labor market in different places, places like Stoke and Wakefield, they have more jobs that are at risk of automation. So they have more low-skilled jobs, but a lot of those low-skilled are susceptible to automation because they're very routinized. Think about retailers, right? cashiers, uh, retail assistants, uh, clerical assistants, think about people working in call centers. Mm-hmm. All of those are susceptible to AI and to robots. And those sorts of cities, particularly in the Midlands and the North, tend to have a more of those as a share of their economy. The reverse is true when you look at places like Reading or London or Swindon. They have less of these jobs and therefore, whilst they'll be affected, the overall effect in those places will be less. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know that. Places like Reading, Swindon, Brighton, they're already doing well. They are successful economies, as we would describe them, high levels of knowledge, lots of high value jobs. Places like Stoke and Wakefield are struggling to some extent already. So the worry is the distributional effect of automation makes things more difficult in terms of progression, in terms of pr- prosperity across the country um, into the future. It, it is funny
1: how, like, whatever... Possible change you talk about with the British economy, it somehow always ends up with like the rich cities doing better and the the struggling North doing worse every time with, with this, with Brexit. It, we just always end up talking about the bloody North South divide again, don't we?
3: Well, it's, it's there. And as you say, and, and it's been, and the thing is, it's been with us for more than 100 years, right? This kind of di- differential between outcome and performance in, in the economy is long run. So, in a sense, in some respects, it, it survives uh, some of these trends as we, we observe them. Um, but you're right, when you think about Brexit, when you think about automation, they are likely to to deepen and make the challenges of bringing this, the country together or making the performance less stark. They make it more difficult in part because of the nature of the economy. Increasingly, success begets success. If you start in a relatively strong position as an individual and or as a city, you 're better able to adapt to and respond to the changes that come if you 're less able if you start in a worse position, you have less capacity to actually deal with some of those those changes, which is brings us to an interesting question then about you know the role of public policy in trying to smooth out or at least respond to some of those differentials I'd like to come back to that at the
1: end, but like I sort of like quite snarkily sort of talked about the rise of the robots and you do tend to sort of imagine like some androids wandering around uh, factories like Lieutenant Commander Data on Star Trek or whatever. But actually, a lot of the time, that's not really what we're talking about. Is it, it's more like the fact that when you go into your local Tesco metro these days, you probably pay at, A cashier without a person—it's that kind of thing. It's all of that. It's
3: the you know, in some respects, it's the mundane mm -hmm. rather than the dramatic. You don't even. It's the things you don't notice. You know, when you now phone uh, your mobile provider or your TV provider or your service provider, whatever it is, your insurance provider, think about how long it actually takes. For you to, to eventually speak to someone. In some instances, you never speak to someone. All of that is automated and it's AI driven algorithms kind of pick up uh, what you're interested in and push you in the right direction. But so it's, it's the kind of those sorts of uh, functions and activities rather than, you know, the classic, the white robot that you often see the Toyota robot answering questions to, to the biz select committee, which is a gimmick, but pointless. That's not really what mm. we're talking about when we're talking about automation. Uh, and globalization, to an extent, that kind of differentiation of what happens where—those are the big factors that have driven the nature and change in the labour market in the UK and in other advanced uh, advanced countries. And it's likely, you know, it's likely to continue. What can't be automated? Like, what's the limit of this? Well, I think there is. So, the more recent work we've done, I think you now see when you when you look at the data and when you talk to to employers and individuals, what you see is, interestingly, that you know, it's, analytical thinking, it's interpersonal thinking, you know, it's persuasion, negotiation, being able to read body language, be able to interact with people, you know, where where the messiness of life interacts, that's the things that we've, we will, we will probably never, I think, automate, or at least if we do automate them, it won't be uh, for a very long time. So in some respects, it's all of those kind of analytical and interpersonal skills, which actually when you talk to employees, they are valuing more and more, they want, they want individuals with lots of team work uh, ethic lots of problem solving uh, rather than kind of more formulaic you know activity
1: in terms of types of jobs I mean just in my own industry as I understand it like probably I I, I could make jokes about this but probably the kind of stuff I do is reasonably safe because because it is dependent on like personality and and, and jokes and so on whereas if you're like a Bloomberg
3: market reporter that's the kind of thing that a computer program yeah. could probably do quicker than you. Yeah. Anything that is relatively repetitive, mm. anything that, that doesn't rely on interaction and collaboration with other individuals and or the response is driven by the response that you get from other individuals. Mm. That is safe. At, at, and that's kind of at the top end. But it's important to remember that there is a whole bunch of work and activity at crudely at the bottom end of the labor market that will also be safe. You know, think about, health, think about, um, social care, think about education, think about the rise in personal fitness, right, as a particular industry. All of those sorts of things rely on empathy. They rely on face to face personal interaction mm-hmm. between one individual and another. That is not going to be automated. And if you look at, you know, a lot of the data on the types of jobs that are going to grow in the future, and the skills associated with them, the skills are all that we've discussed. So you're likely to see a kind of big growth in health and education type jobs at, often at the bottom end of the labor market, don't pay, you know, very much, or at least don't currently pay very much. And then skills and job or jobs at the top end of the labor market that are using, you know, knowledge, you know, at the very, uh, at the very leading edge. It's those two elements, the non-routinized face-to-face stuff that is likely to grow just to wrap up you mentioned a moment ago that you know there's a question about
1: what public policy's role is in responding to this can you expand on that a little bit like what can and should government be doing to kind of prepare us for this
3: yeah so I think I think I think history uh, gives us an insight in some respects of what not to do right you know think about what happened uh, in the 70s, uh, began in the 70s, rolled into the 80s, when in this country and in other countries, and the US is another uh, country where you can see this sort of stuff, where we had a fairly large industrial restructuring process where large chunks of our industry, our manufacturing industry, whether it was coal, uh, or mining or shipbuilding or car manufacturing to a degree in, in, in those sorts of decades, rapidly declined, right? And, those sorts of industries are geographically concentrated. Mm. They're not everywhere. They're in some places, and a lot of people work in them, mainly uh, men of a certain age. And we, we kind of never prepared ourselves and our communities to deal with that quite rapid change. So the worry, in a sense, or the, the urgency is, as we see these changes now playing out in these places, that we don't repeat those part. We don't park people on incapacity benefit, which is essentially what we did. You know, in in my hometown of Swansea, or if you go to, you know, if you go up into the into the northeast or in, uh into parts of the northwest, essentially, uh, the, the public policy response was incapacity benefit to men in and around the age of 45 to 50. And then it was good luck. And we're still dealing with the legacy of those sorts of decisions. So public policy, I think, needs to be much more engaged in. The education and the skill system, the early years school system and skill system, and then through into working age, in order to try and prepare people for not the jobs that are currently uh, in the labour market, but the jobs, the jobs and the skills uh, that ha- that will be in demand in ten years or twenty to twenty years when they come into the into that labour market. And we've got a lot of way, you know, we've got ways to go on that. You know, if you look at the the distribution of the performance, unfortunately. If you look at early years, for example, our best early years provision tends to happen in successful places, right? You know, places like Aldershot, Reading, Bournemouth, Cambridge, they have the best performance in terms of early years. The worst performance are places like Hull, Peterborough, Liverpool, Burnley, Mansfield, right? But we, public, so public college needs to kind of respond to those sorts of questions. And you see that Mm. through the school system as well. But it is about preparation and not just letting it happen and then assuming that we'll right ourselves eventually, because I suppose we will, but you know, in the long run. Well,
1: we'll I'm sure the government will. Just as soon as it's finished dealing with Brexit, the government is going
3: to be straight on this one. I'm happy for the you know for another reason to get over the hump yeah. of Brexit. If this is an issue, uh, you know that will be uh, that will be dealt with. Andrew, thank you very much. Pleasure.
1: And now. It's back to Sarah's adventures at the Amazon Fulfillment Center. You excited? Because I'm really excited.
2: When we were walking around, I didn't say this in the article, but like one of the like they did one demonstration for us. Trying to brag about how they have these, these plastic tape things that adhere very quickly, I guess, to the boxes, and but they don't adhere right when you take them out, and they were trying to show us, and they were showing off about this technology. Um, and it just didn't work. And it was just like, oh God. And they got someone else to make a box. And they were like, do you want to keep the box? And you have to say, no, I don't want to carry a box with me for the rest of this tour and take it home with me to do what? And then they would tell us about things that sounded like perks, but which weren't perks. Okay, like, tell us
1: about the birthday thing.
2: The birthday thing was astonishing. So they're walking around, they're telling us, you know, how they have hot food on site for everyone, which is not actually, like, they, they made an implication that it was like free food. I mean, I mean maybe that's me over reading into it. But it's not free, and one of the staff told me it's very expensive, but it's also their only option because, as we pointed out, Tilbury is not near anything. And that Amazon center is not near anything in Tilbury. So it is just so detached from anything that if you're, like, if it's December and it's, like, really cold and horrible, you don't want to walk 15 minutes, just buy a cold sandwich or, like, final pay six pounds to buy the Amazon hot food. Anyways, another perk they told us about was something called a birthday round table. And they say this, like, that isn't already going to send out like a million fucking alarm bells like as though birthday round table is the most normal and fun sounding thing on the planet we're gonna all be like oh a round table for your birthday tell us more so essentially what they do is they make you on your birthday and they say they're like oh we get in um ice cream and cake and everybody gets to take a break and we all like sit around and then the person whose birthday it is as a birthday treat gets to sit down with, I don't even think their direct line manager, but the general manager of their section, and give feedback about how they feel about the company. Like an exit interview, which the beauty of an exit interview and the point of an exit interview is that you get to exit after You can the say interview. all the
1: hell you like because you're done. Yes, right, and
2: yeah. they can take that feedback and you can give honest feedback because there's no repercussions because you're leaving. Whereas the birthday roundtable is the beauty of an exit interview with all of the repercussions an exit interview doesn't afford you. So you get to go back to work on your birthday after having to look your manager in the eye and say why you hate your job, or probably more likely why it's so great. And then Amazon goes and says, all of our employees say they're having such a great time here. Nobody gives negative feedback at the birthday roundtables. Yeah, and then you have to go back to your normal job. So it's an astonishing thing to not only do but an even more astonishing thing to tell a group of journalists you're doing and act like it's fun.
1: It's weirdly dystopian, isn't it? It's like they didn't, they didn't think through how this might look. It is a very black mirror.
2: It's, it's really weird to invite a group of people to come into a place and have it be so bad. Like, as I said before, I wasn't expecting it to be amazing, but I was expecting it to be like, kind of like boringly well run. Like it was just going to be very smooth. We'd see the robots, see how everything goes really quickly. And that would be that. And they would say, like, oh, our employees get this now. They get all these break times, whatever. Oh, and another thing is that, and this isn't that big of a deal because plenty of companies do this, but they, like, were also bragging about an hour for lunch, which is not that astonishing. But it turns out that they also, and they said that they have, like, two 30-minute breaks during the day, but apparently you have to take those out of your lunch. So it's like, why tell us that they get, like, two hours of break time when it's actually really only one hour? Like, it's all nonsensical, the way they convey these things. It just doesn't make any sense why you would then bring in a bunch of journalists to say, like, this is our awesome place. Like, check it out. Isn't it great and fun? And then to have it be so weird and dystopian and have it look like shit. Like, it looked weird and bad. Screens were smashed. It had robots hanging from the ceilings by, like, fish wire that were, like, watching over you. Like, half-finished signs, loads of security, people looking unhappy and having to, like, smile at you when you walked by. And then the second you were gone, it was, like, the smiles dropped. And they would clearly have been told by the PR people, please smile at the journalists to make them think that you're having a nice time. Like, it's so
1: There's bizarre. something just really horrible about the... So this is this is a thing that's happening, like, all over the world at work, the, the hollowing out phenomenon where, like, you know... Mid-skilled jobs are kind of going. You're either going to be like, you know, doing a a high-skilled job or you're going to be doing absolute crap.
2: Yeah.
1: And I don't really understand, like, that's 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 a big enough problem. You're going to be, a lot of people are going to be earning terrible money to do deeply unfulfilling, menial things. Nobody really has a solution to this at the moment. It's sort of adding insult to injury to then expect them to go around being f***ing happy about this. And and pretending that this is what they always wanted to do with their life rather than, well, this this is the job I got.
2: Yeah. And like I had a couple of people on Twitter when I posted this article say like, oh, you're being snobby at the working class. And that isn't it at all. It's the idea that it's the idea that the working class is like people working in working class jobs are being treated so badly within their jobs. And Amazon literally thinks that it's like a like how they're being treated is good it's the fact that the like the higher up people think oh this is a good work experience when it's obviously so dreadful and it's and it is quite normal like to have like I don't know it's not normal to have birthday round tables but it's normal to have like a shitty environment where it like is quite gross and it's really grim and you're having to work in like a kind of high pace fast environment where there aren't really any benefits like it's bad and it's what's What makes it all worse and what made it so astonishing to me is the fact that Amazon clearly brought us in to say, oh, but isn't it so good the way it is here, which it obviously isn't.
1: So did you come away fulfilled?
2: I hate that word so much. I did come away with a a foam robot, but not with the shelves on top. So it's literally like a flat disc and doesn't look like anything. And it does say fulfillment underneath it. So I did come away with that. That's that is cool. all I came away with. And
1: it's not, it's not autonomous, though, is it? it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't no. Do it anything. sits on my it's desk, just...
2: and I'm sure it will uh, live in the bin very shortly. So
1: basically, you're just just—you're advertising Amazon at this point, which is good, because they need all the help they can get, those guys.
2: Happy to so, do my duty.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing that gets me about this is, like, you know, Jeff Bezos occasionally sort of starts talking about, like, social goods or whatever. And, like, he could do a lot of good by paying his taxes or raising his staff's salary. But that clearly has never occurred to him that this is this is how he could make his contribution. Like you want to do like a moonshot or something to give something back. How about instead of instead of that to give something back, you pay people better so they can have a decent quality of life.
2: Well, and it's actually like not that hard. Like I'm sure it would end up costing them like if you think of just not in terms of how much Amazon makes, but in terms of like raw numbers, a lot of money to like perhaps make lunch less expensive or like. I don't know, to like add some fucking sad lamps so it's not so disgusting yeah. and dingy or replace the broken screens. But like in terms of what that is to Amazon, it's mm. nothing. And so the idea that they, like the people at Tilbury or I guess Amazon UK thought that it was so good that they should bring in a bunch of journalists to look at it. When there are like so many obvious fixable problems, it's it's like, it's just, it's baffling to me. Mm.
1: But there's, so this is a column I've just remembered I, I meant to write and I've never written. Like this. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you find my lack swear, of productivity yes, amusing. Enjoy. But um, there's 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 a tweet <clears throat> from ages ago I think about a lot, where it's like you know Batman says, you know, "How can I how can I end crime in this city?" It's like, "Well, are you invest in education, <laughs> <laughs> like, get me a cape." It's that kind of thing. Yes, it's like nobody, like none of these guys, these sort of multi billionaires want to do the boring stuff of like paying their taxes and trying to sort of, you know, slightly improve the state of the economy or, or workers' rights or whatever. What they want to do is something sort of weird and superhero style, like create the hyperloop or go to Mars or, you know, just something that is gonna get the name in the history books. Are you Rather just than tweeting sort of bo- Elon
2: Musk.
1: He is the worst like Obviously he is just such a terrible human.
2: But yeah, like he's just
1: such a weird nerd as well. Like it's just because he's like
2: he's an emboldened nerd. He's somebody who got. I mean, he's probably king nerd. Employed, but it's yeah, like, he's like a he's like an incel that like somebody had sex with him and now he's like, hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm the cool guy now. Yeah,
1: but he's still a I hope massive that you nerd. Keep that in. Yeah, I, I mean, I hate the guy. It's like also if he like gets really angry about having been mocked on this podcast, like we are going to get so many listens. Obviously, he's never going to see this. No, he's not. Yeah. No, I know. I it's know.
2: always sad, like, when you think, oh, I should be careful about what I say in case Elon Musk or Chris Jenner or James Murdoch read my thing. But obviously, they, they're they never going to read it.
1: I'm fairly sure Daniel Hannan used to read the column I wrote
2: about Oh, him. I'm sure he did. But who's Daniel Hannon is no one, really, kind of in the reads? grand scheme of things, he's yeah. no one.
1: Also, when I stopped writing it, he unblocked me on Twitter, oh, which is that's the, kind the of ultimate cute. troll. Um,
2: he was like, hey... It's me. I'm back.
1: We should probably be wrapping up. So let's think of a way of wrapping up.
2: Well, when I, was gonna, I wanted to make one more point. I actually had a point to make, which is that the thing about Amazon that's weird, or at least with these fulfillment centers. So I'm sure when it comes to corporate Amazon, they do fulfill that, you know, that tech company thing where they're like, snacks, there's a bar in the office. Isn't it mm. fun to work in tech? But the thing about it is they're clearly trying to like put that into their like very, very base level stuff. But it's coming out in these, like, weird half-assed ways that actually just make things worse. Like, we provide hot lunch, but actually it's expensive. Or, like, at your birthday, we have this party, but you have to give feedback to your manager. So that is what I find, like, the most grim and also, like, like I guess, like, the funniest. Like, it's horrible. Like, I'm not laughing at it, but it is, like, it's so tragically awful. Is the fact that they're trying to do that trendy tech company thing whilst like inflicting like enormous amounts of discomfort on their stuff. And it's like astonishing. I'm sure at the corporate level, it's a little bit more thought through because they probably treat them like people, but yeah.
1: So it's like kind of all the hellish sort of tech buzz stuff of a big tech company. But without any of the perks. Without any of the perks or yeah, money. Exactly. Or just...
2: Exactly. It's weird names for things without actually the thing being fun.
1: Well, I'm sure if you uh, you can get public tours of fulfillment centers, can't you?
2: Yes, and the, I went baffling. on the public tour, so you can go you you can experience this. You can go and have a fun hour and a half in Tilbury, not including the travel there. Let's not forget. There's my link back to the beginning.
1: Okay. Well, if you if you want to go on, if you want to see the inside of the Amazon fulfillment center, you can go on one of these tours, or you can get one of these fantastic jobs. I'm sure you can explore those opportunities. Mm anytime now they're
2: hiring for christmas which i'm sure will be a fucking delight
1: oh i imagine the best thing about like working there at christmas is when you inevitably get laid off yeah that's the, the fun thing cause, it's, it's the knowing it's signing yeah. on to
2: say you are not going to have a job but it's going to be very horrible for what is for most people uh seen as a fun time of year
1: so i still want to say merry christmas but it's november No, it's, the it's the far too november. early
2: I hope you get me on to do a Thanksgiving episode as if your podcast can just be about anything.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going
2: to bank a pumpkin pie.
1: Okay. Bake well, bake you a
2: pumpkin pie.
1: I don't really know. There's no relevance.
2: That. You probably won't be able to put this in. I'm just I'm saying, just, I'm not even saying this for the podcast. I'm saying this to you, I'm, I'm, my friend and manager. I'm really, I'm Alice.
1: really concerned that we're not going to come to a natural ending. And so I should probably just stop talking.
2: But wait, I, but I also think the to... listeners
1: need to know that your puppy is called Martha.
2: Why is that weird? Or it's ba- not weird. I think it's a Why good name saying? for... A... I think it's a really nice name. It's a lovely She's very name. cute. You can follow her on Instagram. Hey there, it's Martha.
1: So there you go. That's a it's much better ending. Than that depressing stuff about Amazon. and. Um, also,
2: can I say, this won't Christmas. make it into the podcast. I'm going to say this. Everybody's making fun of that minister. Did you see this yesterday where that minister was like... "I have a, They were like, oh, this minister has a Facebook page where she for her cats where it's like in the cats like it's written in the first person as the cat and the cat calls her mummy that is literally what i do with my dog's instagram every single how sad and lonely and i'm like i'm fine
1: guys you know that thing where you said that's not going to make it into the podcast we'll see you next time you've been listening to skylines the podcast from city metric the new statesman city site It was presented and produced by me, John Elledge. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do consider leaving us an iTunes review. It really helps other people to discover the show. And, you know, the more people get listening to this show, the sooner I can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.